you're in Seattle, Seattle. And you need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to rodandbouncedown.com. People ask me, how do you put up with these two? My answer, good snacks and video games. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 532 of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab Studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, let's talk about, hey, not so fast. See what I did? We're going to talk about fasting. Uh. Hey, not so fasting. (laughs) You know, fasting. Yeah, I remember. I, I remember when I was in church growing up, and they were talking about fasting. Right? Some people say it's biblical. Some people say we've been doing it a long time. And is there a lot of good research around about fasting and why we should all fast, and why some of us should absolutely not be fasting? I'm a faster, and uh, I'll tell you about fasting straight ahead and how that has helped me or hurt me. <laughs> not so fast. Hey, we're also going to be talking about the fact. And I'm pretty pumped about this. Uh, I like to go out to BuzzFeed every once in a while and read some good things. And there's a BuzzFeed thread the other day and a Reddit thread that I really loved. And it talked about the really cool things about America. And it was written by people that have lived or they're from other places in the globe. And when they come to the U.S., they say, you know what? This, These are the things about the United States that we really appreciate. And some of these things... It probably won't blow Ron away as much because he's quite the world traveler. Uh, but for me, uh, yeah, I was kind of stunned by some of the things that I take for granted that other people don't, that they love when they come here to visit. So before we get to that, though, let's talk about this. By the time you're listening to this, a couple banks have collapsed and also interest rates. Uh, the Fed rate just went up. Interest rates went down. And what we'll see is we'll see those interest rates then begin to creep back up because Wall Street responded to that. The bond market responded to that. So it seems like the federal government is going to continue to raise those interest rates and try to curb inflation. Yellen came out the other day and said, even as smaller banks begin to fail, that we will step in and make sure that this doesn't happen. They also said we need to add more regulation that was taken away during the Trump administration on mid-sized banks and that they feel like big banks are still in a place that's pretty damn good because these banks aren't built on jobs that all of us really don't have and mortgages that we can't really afford. So what we're not seeing right now in this correction, a recession that we're already in, a recession maybe that we're headed into, uh, we don't see a lot of the big banks lining up. It's the midsize. And, and, and I think what she's doing is she's telegraphing and saying, hey, there's more banks out there that are going to fail. They are. We're going to jack interest rates, and there's going to be. That's just what's going to happen. Just in the same way we talked about Chat GPT, we know that millions of jobs, and even the CEO said, "Yeah, millions of jobs are going to go away, but maybe it's going to create different types of jobs and millions more jobs." So we'll have to see how that plays out. Back to this bank failure, though, Ron. It's been a couple of weeks 
since this tech bank failed down in California, some people say, you know what? Maybe this failure was a blessing in disguise. Uh, what say you as you look at the fallout? Uh, it could be if, if we tighten up some of the regulations. I, I just encourage people, PBS just put out a new, a new documentary called The Age of Free Money. And if you could, I just finished watching it and it is an incredible piece of journalism, very well researched, very well uh, vetted and interviews with, with very significant people in this storyline. And the, the analogy they use, which we're living in right now is we have had an age of free money from the federal uh, perspective, the government perspective since the 2008 uh, 2009 housing crash. So for a little bit over a decade, um, the United States government has been in, under different euphemisms, different euphemisms and different titles has been pumping virtually free money into the economy in the form of bailouts and stock buybacks and uh, stimulus checks and, and all sorts of artificially low interest rates. And so we went straight out of uh, the housing crisis. And then for political reasons, we kept it artificially low. Then we had COVID and kept it artificially low to that. And so what we're seeing now, uh, these experts in this documentary I was watching, what we're seeing now happen is as if you had a spoiled child for years and years and years, anything they wanted, you bought them. Anything they wanted to do, they got. Is that anything, what happened to Anything you? they wanted to eat, they got to eat. Do you know and this then, kid? Do you know this kid? And then all of a sudden, yeah. uh, within a very short amount of time, let's say within six months, you go, all right, you're getting a job, cutting you off, you're getting healthy, we're going to the gym. What is that child going to do? Throw an absolute tantrum. Mm. And so that is what we're going through right now. The, the We as Americans... Uh, the stock market and individual businesses and even individuals like you and I, collectively, we have become addicted to free money. And it fueled the real estate market. It fueled the, the uh, cryptocurrency market. It fueled all kinds of speculation all over the place. And what is the message that we sent uh, to, to especially institutions? If you Make a gamble in the markets and you're right, you get to keep those profits. If you make a gamble in the markets and you're wrong, as long as you're a big bank, we're going to bail you out. What does that environment create? It creates a recklessness and a speculation that now we're trying to clean up. So we, we have a tantrum throwing teenager on our hands right now economically and it is gonna it is not gonna be smooth sailing there's gonna be a lot of volatility as we try to take the sugar away and yeah. take the toys away from this unruly teenager when yellen goes before the before congress and they all sit there and and do you think the conversation before Congress is helpful or do you think it's a lot of political grandstanding or do you think it's both? Cause I tell you what, 
I give her credit. She doesn't kowtow to anyone. <laughs> no, it, it is grandstanding. What what we've done the, in the, the, in the same way grand, that is grandstanding. They, yeah, they'll absolutely, call her, they'll call her before and they'll it, and and they have no the, control over what she decides to do. Is the amazing thing. Well, so. the and that's for good cause, as yeah. you can see here. The, the the this is the same thing that's happened, like with the police or with schools. Society has tried to transfer responsibility. It's like, hey, school, why don't you raise my kid? That's a great point. And hey, police, why don't you also take care of mental great. health? And homelessness great point. Yeah. so what we've said because it is a political football hey federal reserve why don't you guys handle the economy and it's like no this is a political problem it's sure. not a a federal reserve problem in the sense that federal reserve has a very limited number of tools at its disposal they can raise interest rates they can lower interest rates they 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 can also do some quantitative easing which is helped us get into this mess because the po politicians have refused to, to make any meaningful change. Like you brought up the, you know, the, the Trump administration was like, Hey, we're going to, the free market's going to take care of itself. We're going to do, do away with all these regulations. You can be over leveraged. You can be exposed. You can, uh, you don't have to have cash reserves because you want to make higher returns for your shareholders. They allowed all that stuff to happen. This is the result of that. The Silicon Valley Bank's like, oh, wait, we don't have any reserves. I guess we're going to crash. And then the government comes in and insures people that shouldn't have been insured. And there was one economist in this, this show that I just watched that was really interesting. He's like, America used to be founded on the principle of if you made a risky gamble and you lost, then everybody was like, oh, man, that sucks that you lost, but wow, that was a really risky gamble. You probably shouldn't have done that and you learned your lesson. Now we don't have that lesson anymore. The lesson now is, hey, if you go buy mortgage-backed securities and it fails, we're going to bail you out and you get a, a bonus anyway. That's what we've taught because politicians have said, we don't want to regulate anybody. We don't want to have a rule book, but what we want to do is have the Fed, Fed, you do that. The Fed's like, that's not my job. My job is not to make these policies. Then you even see Jerome Powell doing this when he gets asked a lot of times. He's like, that's a Congress issue. You're asking me a thing like the debt ceiling. That's not a Fed thing. Don't ask me that. Go talk to your congressperson. They're supposed to, that's literally their job. So while it affects me, I don't get to do that. All I get to do is come up to this podium and say, am I raising interest rates or not? And so we've created an environment where this teenager is going to rebel and throw tantrums here for a while longer. Because if you're in the stock market or you're in a bank, you're just out to maximize profits. That's all you're out to do is you want to maximize profits. And so when someone takes away your shiny toys, you're pissed. Yeah. And that's what the government's trying to do now is go, we gave you basically crack cocaine for a decade. Now we're shutting off your supply. And now we're, gonna gonna now we're giving you fentanyl. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, you guys. Not so fasting. On the other side of this. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's Don here with my good friend, Ron. You may have heard of us. Anyway, you probably haven't heard of her, Ron. We have a brand new team member, Team Ron and Don Real Estate, right? Yeah, her name is Mara, and Mara just left one of the big tech firms, uh, and now she's doing real estate. Mara, what was it like dealing with folks in tech and specifically with housing in Seattle? 
Yeah, the housing market in Seattle can be a little bit tricky. Um, Seattle has a lot of very different and great neighborhoods. So having somebody that can help you find the right neighborhood for you and what you like to do um, is really important when coming to a new city, especially when you're trying to meet people who have similar interests or are close to the activities that you like. Um, so what I want you to do is if you are, uh, maybe you're not in tech or not moving around, if you know someone who is, or their kid is, or they're trying to leapfrog from tech company to tech company, Mara's on our team now. She's an expert in this specific area. So if you would like to do a sit down with us and meet her, you can go to ronadonsitdown.com. That's ronadonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don show. Uh, do you get this on your, I, th- I think it's because um, I've been reading a lot about, well, I always read a lot about health and nutrition, Ron, and I've been reading a lot about fasting. And because of that, I get all kinds of information sent to me about fasting. And I have to say, uh, some of it I think is really helpful but I really think if there's people out there, if, if you already know that you're on the track to having cardiovascular disease, and cardiovascular disease can start when you're very young. It can, it can start when you're a kid. If you're pounding a lot of processed food, cardiovascular disease may have already started in, in your child, right? Especially if, if your family has a history of heart issues or diabetes. That's the other thing too. If you have like diabetes, uh, and, and, and I am not a, we're going to talk about fasting. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not, I'm just a guy on a podcast talking about, talking about something that's been helpful to me. But again, if, if, if you have a heart issue, if you have a diabetes issue, if you have had some kind of eating disorder or there's eating disorders in your family, and you have to be really careful on how you model things. Like my son does not know I fast. He doesn't know that. He doesn't need to know that. He has a little extra weight on him right now. We've talked about what fasting is because he's interested in some of the stories that he has read at church uh, when he's gone uh, with some family members to Sunday school or something. So he, he has questions about that. So fasting for me is something that works for me but like kids out there should not be fasting. They should be eating and sleeping and pooping and playing and learning and laughing and having fun. That that's that's a kid's job. That's what they should be doing. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this over to you for a minute, Ron, because I know that you've been on this exploration about sugar, about your body, about food, your relationship to food. Uh, I know that you grew up in the church as well, so we heard a lot about, and, and in fact, during certain holidays, we'd be encouraged not to fast, and then I'd go back and I'd look at the pastor's desk and see him telling everybody to fast, and he's back there eating Girl Scout cookies. Nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, what say you about fasting? What's your feelings about it? Have you tried it? I have tried it. I mean, there's there's two sort of lanes on this. One is the the spiritual lane, where it is a part of a lot of traditions. Uh, you know, Ramadan, you'll do fasting in that religion. Christianity talks about you know Jesus fasting for forty days and nights, and those are for spiritual awakenings. Like you are trying, like a lot of Stoics sometimes would fast, and the the purpose of that type of fast is the mental acuity, is to say I'm going to deny. The intention. I'm denying my physical desires here to have a spiritual experience. I am trying to change my state 
uh, so that I might become more open to something spiritual. So that, that's very different than a fitness-oriented fast, which is a lot of times is you've heard the term intermittent fasting or even a, a longer fast. And then there's also, I guess, a third category now that I think of it. There are protest fasts, political fasts of someone that says, you know, I'm in prison and I'm getting mistreated and so I'm going to do a fast or a Gandhi sometimes might do a fast for political reasons to draw attention to an issue uh, and basically put themselves in harm's way uh, to draw attention. So like this is used in a lot of different ways, but I, I think that you're uh, interested in the intermittent fasting stuff. And to my understanding, and I've read some of the studies I've read some of it. Again, I too am not a doctor or a nutritionist, so it's just a, an explorer in these fields. But the concept that, that made sense to me and why I gave it a shot was that if you're constantly putting fuel, more fuel than you need into your body, which is what we do as Americans, uh, let's say you output you know, 2,000 calories a day, and every day in, day in and day out, you're eating 3,000 calories a day, your body has to take the excess and put it somewhere, and that's you get fat. So the intermittent theory, intermittent fasting theory is give your body a chance to burn up all the fuel you put in that day. And then um, maybe it'll start build, burning excess fuel in the form of fat because you allowed the tank to go empty. So that's the theory. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. I tried it and I gave it a 30-day deal of like the 18-hour the one. Uh, and you can put it at different times of the day, different time windows when you're going to eat or, or not eat. And it was fine. Like my body adjusted to it. It didn't, it didn't really work for me in the sense of weight loss or energy management. I, I didn't see enough benefit to continue with that, but I did try it um, and experiment with it. And I think if I had a different workout regimen or if my body was wired a little differently, that I would have got different results. But for me, the intermittent fasting uh, didn't have enough benefits to continue. Yeah. I, I read about intermittent fasting after I read a book a number of years ago. And I read this book about the time that I started addressing, uh, you know, my drinking in my life, my fatherhood, uh, some of the family familia stuff, just some of the chains that really need to be broken. Some of the horrific parenting by my father specifically. So I, I, I read this book called born to run. And it's when I made some shifts in my behavior. I made some shifts in the way I ate, what I put in my body. And this book talks about the fact that we're all born to run. And they studied this tribe that was down in Mexico, still is. And they're trying to figure out how come this tribe can go out and enter these ultra marathon races, virtually not eat anything, and kick everybody in a her. And in the meantime, all us other ultra marathon people that are thought we were born to run have these vests on and we're fueling with goo and goo is a lot of sugar and your body needs sugar. You guys, your brain, your brain runs on sugar. It just does. Sugar is not a bad thing. There's refined sugar, processed sugar, but your body needs sugar. So when people say you shouldn't eat fruit, yeah, you should. You shouldn't eat vegetables. So I get bloated. You shouldn't eat fruit. So now you're down to meat and you're just eating meat. Go ahead and eat meat and see how your heart looks 20 years from now. You may lose a lot of weight just eating meat and doing that thing, but you need the antioxidants. You need the cancer killers, the cancer fighters that come from vegetables and that come from fruit. 
at least that is my belief. But going back to born and run, I, I couldn't, I would go out with some of my friends that are really great trail runners and they wouldn't be eating anything on the trail run. And then when they would, maybe they eat a banana or something. And I was like, how are they doing this? Cause I would eat all this food. And then every 30 minutes I'd have to eat something. And thank God when you're trail running, a lot of these fun runs, uh, especially that Northwest does Northwest trails, you look forward to seeing their tables out in the woods because they got potato chips and they got candy and they got all kinds of, and you can eat anything you want to eat when you're trail running. Cause your body is just, it's, it's burning through that. What I learned though, is in that process is you really start, if you eat a bunch of food, like I went to the gym early this morning, I fast most mornings until noon. Uh, Ron and I are recording this and he saw me go down at 1157 and I went and got my protein drink that I ate, that I made last night. Half of it I ate before bed is my, is my dessert. And then the other half I just consume. There's protein powder in there. There's stuff, good stuff, collagen in there for your skin. And there's fruits and vegetables, uh, in there as well. And, and for me, I, there's no dairy in there. And, and so my kind of my eating window every day is either noon to eight or I'll go, sometimes I'll shorten that window. I'll go maybe two to nine, right? And in the morning when my son is eating and he eats a full breakfast, during the week I don't eat with him, but on the weekend I eat with him. So on the weekend I don't fast. So we, we have fun making a big breakfast on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday and then doing something. So I'll eat all day with him and we'll do some barbecue stuff and all that. And then what I'll do is I'll pay more attention to what I'm eating at night. I have to say this, the, the, what, what happens for me during fasting, number one, I'm, I'm stronger in the gym. Like when I went this morning, I was in the gym for over an hour. I can jump on the treadmill, run for miles, and I haven't consumed any food, not a banana, just water. When I get up, a cup of coffee, and that's kind of it. And and I don't have these insulin spikes. And so and I can actually feel my body fueling off the fat. And when I really pay attention to the fast, what I'm also paying really paying attention to is what I'm putting in my body and what I'm not putting in my body. If you go down to my refrigerator, people laugh because they go in there and they go, You sure don't have much food in here. Cause I go shopping every single day. I try to shop in the outer ring of the store. We don't buy a lot of processed food. But at the same time, my son's 12. When you're 12, you get to eat potato chips. When you're 12, you get to have a piece of your Halloween candy uh, in your lunch so you can share it with your best friends at school. Uh, when, you're, when you're 12, everything just is in apples and oranges. You get to have some white bread and a peanut butter and jelly once in a while. But for us, you, if you go through my cat, there's, there's no bag of chips. There's none of that stuff. If I'm going to put it in his lunch, I buy it the day of, it's a little bag, and maybe I'll eat the other half and he'll eat it. Because I don't want him thinking, as Ron has said, food is bad, food is good. I think that is so, so important. And if I just say, hey, you're never going to smoke from a bong, you're never going to have sex with with a girl you're, while you're living under my roof, you're never going to do drugs, you're never going to drink alcohol, you're never going to eat processed food, you're never going to do this, this, and this. this, this stuff is good and this stuff is bad. What I've done is I've taken away his experience of figuring out those things for himself, right? And what I figured out for me in my relationship with food, I have a good relationship with food. I know that buying that food that's as fresh as it can be the day of, it makes a difference when I eat it. It tastes better. Uh, it, I know it tastes better, I think, in his lunch and in my lunch. 
And, 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 and if I had that bag of chips sitting on the counter, I'm no better than anyone else. If it was nine o'clock at night and there's some sour cream Lay's potato chips, I'm going to eat that whole freaking thing. So anyway, we will see you on the other side of this. All right, you guys, we're sitting here with uh, Mitch from Mitch.Loans and Ron. It's kind of weird. Mitch came in here with a leverage board, and he has a bunch of levers in front of him. What's going on here? That's right, Mitch. First-time homebuyers, I don't know if they understand they're using leveraged money to create wealth. Explain that. That's correct. So let's say on a million-dollar house, you put 20% down. Your investment is $200,000. When people talk about homes going up 20%, that's your home going from 1% to one2 one million two hundred thousand dollars, right? So your investment of two hundred thousand dollars has turned into four hundred thousand dollars. You're doubling your investment. Your investment didn't go up twenty percent. Your investment went up a hundred percent. Right. And so when you talk about getting a loan, and even if you did less than that, let's say you put ten percent down, your money, your equity is even a greater position because you were able to get into a loan with less than twenty percent. Absolutely, one hundred thousand has turned into three hundred thousand. Right. So when uh, you talk to Mitch and you go to Mitch.loans, explore these options. Your down payment, what the projected increase in the house is going to be, and what your equity position will be down the road. Those are the kind of things that Mitch will walk you through when you do a process with him and you're going to get a loan. So start things off right now at Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans. All right, you, uh, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. In, in 30 seconds more on fasting, it, it's helped me regulate my weight. Uh, I know how much I weigh before I get on a scale. I can just feel it. It's given me lots of mental clarity, tons and tons and tons of mental clarity, lots of it. Uh, and also, I feel like by doing that and running my tank out every day, when I do eat food, it tastes spectacular. The dinner that I have every night, it just tastes amazing to me. And I also want you to know, and, and, and they say it takes a couple weeks. I think it takes more than a couple weeks to get used to that feeling of not being full or that feeling of being hungry. When you start fasting, you're going to feel that. So don't jump into a big fast where you're going to go 18 hours on the fast and then you're going to turn around and do six eating. You're going to gorge yourself and eat so much food in that six-hour window that it's a waste of time to fast. So I would encourage you, split it. Go 12 and 12. First time, I'm going to go 12. Then I'm going to do 12. So, so, so play with it and figure that out. And see if it uh, maybe could work for you. So, anyway, Ron, you travel a lot, and I got to give me a minute to bring up this article. Uh, I like reading every time. You know, we always hear about making America great, but there's some pretty great things about America already. And I was just reading this article on BuzzFeed. Did you get to look at it? And it's people that aren't from the U.S. that have either migrated here, they moved here, or they traveled here and left. And they said, you know what? Here, there's some really great things about your country that I really love. And they listed 35 things. One of the things that really stood out to me is people said the the community colleges that you have in the United States are outstanding because what it does is it gives somebody that, that maybe struggled in high school. Uh, maybe your brain hadn't grown up yet. Maybe you hadn't grown up yet, but you struggled in high school you didn't get into a four-year university 
or the four year the four year university you got into was so darn expensive you couldn't afford it. And they talk about this thing called community college. And I know that you've had a connection with Bellevue Community College in the past, which I think they do they call it something different I think now. It's Bellevue College now. It's a four, it's Bellevue four college. year school. Yeah, it, oh, it is. Yeah. Anyway, people from around the world they they just really love the fact. That there's another on ramp back back if if you wipe out in high school, you can get back on the on ramp to a four year degree by taking community college courses, and I didn't know how amazing that was. And they said, hey, in a lot of places around the world, if you don't make it in high school and you're they see you as a day laborer, you're a day laborer and you're never going to get that four year degree. Yeah, so. it's true. This was an interesting article. Um, and it, it depends on how optimistic or pessimistic I'm feeling that day when I read it, because the, the basic premise is we know that the, there's a lot of issues in America right now. We've talked about some of those in the past few podcasts. What are some good things? And so in one sense, it's sort of like, okay, I guess we're going to ignore the big headline items, uh, you know, the above the fold items, because a lot of the stuff on the list, um, while it, it they're true, and I am grateful for them, they they don't they don't address the big issues that we have in America. They but were, we address those all the time. We address those yeah, all the time. So, so this, this is podcast, sort of thing, we address them all the time. So let's have fun, not address any of those, sure. and 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 the most of them uh, and the ones i agree with are like hey this really is the land of plenty so if you come from a different part of the world and they they there was a person that came from russia that specifically i remember she's like when i first got to america i would take my kids and we would just go to the store yeah and we would walk around because in, in when we were where i grew up you had a loaf of bread and she's like i'd stand in the bread aisle and it's like look at all these different options of bread <laughs> So like yeah. that has to blow your mind. I remember yeah. when I went to Cuba uh, and we went to a market there. It was like rice, beans, sugar, oil, coffee. It wasn't like eight different kinds of coffee. You couldn't get Pete's coffee or Starbucks coffee. Like co you want coffee or you don't want coffee. Like that was wow. that was your choice. Really? And so when you come back and you're like oh my god i'm gonna sit here for five minutes deciding which coffee i want that is huge that is a big upside the other thing that, that i think we do take for granted um and that, that was brought up and i try to not take this for granted our natural uh national park system in the way that we feel like as americans we should have access yeah. is unique around the world like there are times when you could go to europe or other countries and it's like oh i want to go climb that mountain and you're like nope that mountain is privately owned i want to go swim in that lake nope you you can't go to that lake you do not have access so uh, in america for the most part um, if you want to go down a river, if you want to climb a mountain, if you want to go into a forest, you have access. It's part of your right as an American to have access to to most of the lands and scenic places of America. That that I think is something that uh, we got right here for sure. Yeah, there's a book, and now I understand that that this book has come alive, and and there's some video around this book. It's a book by Timothy Egan. He's a great Northwest writer, and he's written a book called The Big Burn. It's about Teddy Roosevelt and John Muir, and they take you right up. They take you right up to Mount Rainier, and they walk through the John Muir snowfield. 
and they named it the John Muir Snowfield. And it's really interesting because Teddy Roosevelt loved John Muir and he always wanted to be John Muir. They would get on horseback, ride around the country, and they'd say, yeah, this canyon, it's grand. This is a national park. Yeah, this mountain, this is amazing. Uh, Mount Rainier, yeah, this is a national park. And they rode the country. They just rode around on horseback. They decided where the national parks would go. And then the issue that they had, and this is what the big burn is about, as people were leaving the East Coast and coming West, and most of the people that landed on the East Coast came West, depending on where you landed, 60 to 70% of the people that landed East came West. And along with that, uh, they brought lots of disease, but they also brought trains. And what trains did is the trains, the tracks, the wheels, the steel, the wheels of steel, those are the true wheels of steel. It began to set a lot of forests on fires. And a lot of these forests were in places where Teddy Roosevelt said, yeah, that's a national park. And now the national park's on fire. So the big burn, and I don't want to give it away, it's about the biggest forest fire ever in the history of the United States. And Washington State was a part of it. And I would encourage you to read this book because it's about the forestry system. You would not believe the pushback that Teddy Roosevelt, a violent pushback that he had in developing these forests, because guess what big businesses want to do and big money want to do and families want to do. They wanted to harvest all these forests. And Teddy said, no, we can go ahead and harvest where the train tracks are going to be. So we don't keep setting these forests on fire. But these other forests, we are going to leave alone. That takes you all the way back to 1910. So if you have an opportunity, I would encourage you to read that book, The Big Burn by Timothy Egan about Teddy Roosevelt and the forestry system. It's really amazing. I will say the one that really sticks with me, and you, if you want to read this, you guys, it'll make you very grateful uh, and maybe a little cynical like Ron was feeling. I don't want to take, take that away. There was somebody that said, you know, it's amazing to me that in the United States, that I could wake up on the East Coast and I could decide one day that I want to grab my family and I could go all the way to the West Coast. And if I liked it, I could decide that I'm going to move my family from the East Coast to the West Coast and I get to do that and I don't have to report to anybody. You can't do that in a lot of parts of the world. Try doing that in Russia right now. Try doing that in China right now. Try doing that in Ukraine right now. Yeah. So hashtag grateful gratitude. We hear that word so much. Let's not get tired of it. Yeah. As my mom used to tell me, uh, gratitude determines your attitude for the day. And lots of cool things on that BuzzFeed list. So, hey, you guys, if you need us, why don't you do this? Just reach out. We love being your broadcasters, your friends, and we really love being your realtors. And to be honest with you, it's something we're really very good at. There's realtors out there that just love, well, they love the transaction. They love the money. If they can make money doing it. And we really like the relationship. Ron, before we go, we reached out to someone the other day and we were supposed to go look at a house and possibly represent this house in a sale. 
and you wrote an email and you told this particular gentleman, we aren't coming. We hope you find someone, but we are not your guys. We are not your team. There's not a lot of people that turn away business in real estate, especially now. Why did you do that? I just could look down the road and see that this was not going to be a good fit. And so um, the the way – and, and it, that doesn't make me good and him bad or vice versa. It means he had a particular style of the way he wanted it to go, and that was not the way that we operate. And so you know, I tried to say, hey, can we do this and this? And he's like, nope, I'm not doing it that way. It's like, okay, well, then I can see – I can see that we are not going to fit and this is not going to make me feel excited uh, about being a part of this team. And so I just pulled out and said, thanks for the opportunity, but like, this is not for us. And so I think um, knowing that is given us a lot of freedom to say, Hey, we want to take on people and clients and projects that sometimes it means it's more work, but if it's for the right team member and the right, um, the right person, then that that jazzes us up and gives us energy. He wasn't part of the Ron and Don Nation. He wasn't one of you. He doesn't. He doesn't. He didn't have that relationship with us. And early on in real estate, we took on clients that didn't that didn't have a connection with us, that didn't trust us. And I have no problem building trust with someone. Uh, but this this was a situation where I think we all agreed that a transactional realtor was going to do a better job for him uh, versus, hang on, I got a client calling. Hey, Monica? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just recording the podcast. I'll call you right back. Okay, thanks. Yeah, see you, bye. Anyway, that's somebody who's a great team member, right? Great team member. Hey, you guys, if you need us, just reach out. RonandonSitdown.com. We can sit down today. And if you feel like advertising on this podcast, we don't take a lot of advertisers. Uh, but if it's a good fit for us, write me, Don at RonandDon.com. If you want to do a sit down, Ron at RonandDon.com. Everything is at RonandDonSitdown.com. We should get RonandDonLaydown.com for Charlie because that's what he does during the podcast. It's really comfortable Mr. Ron is here. Hey, you guys, head up, shoulders back. Thanks for listening. And uh, we will see you next time. In fact, tomorrow for a real estate-specific show. And, Ron, what are we talking about on the real estate-specific show on a Friday? It's about 20 minutes. I think everyone is going to love it. You have to listen to this podcast, you guys. Yeah, we are going to talk a little bit about what is going on uh, in the mortgage market and like what that means for you if you're thinking about jumping in. It's a really fascinating story. We hear all kinds of news stories about on the national level. What does it mean here in the specific Northwest, as your son likes to say? Head up, shoulders back, as I said. We'll see you next time. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. All right! That was a good one. On the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet. And we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network. Only.